2: on oh, my mama When I looked at AJ, bro, I saw you, bro, no cap. number 11. Hey, when I seen you running, swear to God, bro, I saw Julio Jones. I saw the number 11, I saw you driving your knees. Bro, you look so you look so tall, like, I, I, that was weird as That was so crazy.
3: So now that Julio Jones is on the Philadelphia Eagles, guys are thinking that A.J. Brown is Julio Jones. And I guess I'm a little confused about all of that. Regardless, it's a Wednesday edition of PFT Live. Shireen Williams is here. We've got two hours on Peacock, Sirius XM85, Sky Sports NFL, whenever they get around to playing the show, podcast, whenever you get around to listening to the show. And I'm finally aware, Shireen, that we have the two World Series competitors locked in i've paid no attention Do to postseason really baseball to other than to that. know why what's the issue what's the problem don't you live aren't you from houston aren't you are you from houston didn't you grow where'd you grow I up in grew up near
4: houston yeah i should know We're this near houston right an astros fan okay they are not in it
3: but in it. right but you're a Cowboys fan. My son was asking me on Monday night, why weren't you an Oilers fan if you grew up near Houston? And I thought, you know what? That's a very good question. I've only known her for six years. I probably should get around to asking her that question.
4: Well, you know, everybody in Texas was a Cowboys fan. Were there any Oilers fans anywhere? I, I don't know. My, my grandmother actually... Grew I, they up, filled that uh, stadium. They filled that stadium. They did. My grandmother actually is right. was from close to Dallas. And so she was a big Cowboys fan. So I was a big Cowboys fan because she was she got my love of football. So that's how I started loving the Cowboys. The Rangers didn't come into existence; didn't move from Washington until 1970. So, having grown up in Beaumont near Houston, I was an Astros fan, but a Cowboys fan. So yeah, I know it's kind of mixed up, but that's that's how it worked out. So. The Cowboys are my one DFW team that I grew up loving, and the rest were all the Houston teams.
3: And weren't the Texas Rangers the Washington Senators? Isn't that where they came from? They were, yeah. Am I getting that right? Wow. Yes. See, I knew a lot more about baseball back in the 70s when the Pirates weren't terrible. And now that the Pirates are Mm -hmm. terrible, I'm on a 31-year boycott of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And what's going to happen is, there will be people who say, well, what about the two years they made the playoffs? Yeah, and they were the, the one-game playoff. Big freaking <laughs> deal, right? One game and you're out. Yeah. So congratulations. In 31 years, the Pirates have played two postseason games, I believe. I may be wrong, and I frankly don't care. I rarely care if I'm wrong. And I was wrong at the beginning. It was Julio Jones that was being confused for A.J. Brown by Jalen Hurts, who was throwing to A.J. Brown thinking – it was Julio Jones. Now yeah. I get it. Now I understand. The problem was, it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention. My document wasn't loading on my computer, so I didn't have the benefit yeah. of the guidance as to what it was that we were seeing. Usually, it's just me not paying attention. This time, I actually have an excuse. My page hadn't reloaded. But now it's there. Now it's there, so I'm confident and comfortable that we can at least get through the show with me knowing what we're supposed to be talking about. So... um Will you watch any of the World Series back to the wound that is still open and fresh for you? Will you watch any of it?
4: I will. And, of course, it's, it's, all the talk here is Rangers, 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 Rangers. So it will be the next week I will have to hear about the Rangers. But that's okay. I, I will watch, and I will be very happy for all my Rangers f- fans, uh, friends if, if the Rangers win. I will not be happy if the Rangers win, however.
3: See, I remember going like re- through this and there may have been a year when the big red machine was dominating in uh, yeah. the National League. And I, I think that like someone tried to argue the point that, and I don't know if the, the Reds and the Pirates met in the postseason. I think they did because there were two different divisions for some reason in the National League. And the Reds beat the Pirates, and I think like my grandfather or somebody argued to me that you should support the team that beat your team. It's like, the hell with that. Screw them. I want them to lose. Is that your attitude with the (laughs) Texas Rangers?
4: Exactly. Yes, it's the biggest rival. You don't go root for your biggest rival when they beat you. I mean, no, you don't do that. But, yeah, it it is exciting for DFW, and I am glad for my Rangers friends. A bunch of them are going to the games, so – uh, they'll get to enjoy that and, and see what it's like. We've, we've well, kind of dominated to lose. over the last seven years. My- <laughs>
3: yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. gay friends, go have a good time of the game. I hope you're miserable as you're walking out to your car and, and miserable the next day and uh-huh. wasted all your money to go watch uh, a game that ended up being a defeat. Kind of like the way Colts fans felt on Sunday when they spent their hard-earned money to go watch the home team host the Browns. Not to mention anyone that might have had some of their hard-earned money on the money line. I don't know whether or not the, the Browns probably didn't cover. the only one by one, and it wasn't a half-point spread. So if you had the Colts in the spread, you were still happy. If you had the Colts on the money line, you were not happy because the Colts didn't win the game. Now, Jim Ursay, owner of the Colts, not happy. And he tucked this one into a longer tweet that you had to click to see it all. The main message in his tweet related to The surgery that was performed on starting quarterback Anthony Richardson's shoulder. He's out for the year. He's had successful surgery. It's always successful until it isn't. They repaired what was expected. Anthony's doing well, and thanks to everyone for the support. There's no date for his return. We know he's not going to be back this year. But then, boom, burying the lead Jim Irsay did. The NFL admits and understands that they did not make their correct calls at the end of Sunday's Colts-Browns game, I believe, We need to institute instant replay for all calls, including penalties, in the last two minutes of all games. A twist on what Bill Belichick has been arguing for years, Shereen, that coaches should be able to challenge anything. If there's clear and obvious visual evidence that a ruling on the field is incorrect, the coach should be able to throw the red flag and challenge anything he wants. Ursay's point, final two minutes of the game, anything is fair game any inaccurate application of the rules subject to challenge and what he's referring to here two moments one illegal contact that wiped out what would have been a browns fumble colts recovery game over and gave cleveland first and goal on the eight and then more importantly the and here's the first one third and four balls out recovered by the colts but oh wait flag on the play illegal contact here's the contact I had someone from another team say, you know, there's a lot worse than that that never gets called, especially late in the game where it's let them play. Now, here's first and goal from the eight. That's ruled pass interference. The ball almost lands in the stands. In fact, on one hop, it's in the stands. It's called pass interference, first and goal for the Browns. And it was clearly uncatchable. As someone said on the PFT text thread, Dwight Clark on a ladder couldn't have caught that one. So according to Ursay, and I think it's important, to look at exactly what he said, they did not make the correct calls. Uh, with an S, calls. Uh. He doesn't specify, but I assume it's those two. Hey, we screwed those two up. I still don't know about the first one. I definitely know about the second. one. There's also a chance the messengers off a little bit because let's, let's 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 be real here. The messengers off a little bit, generally. But but Shereen, what do you think about this idea, this proposal? this notion of making everything subject to replay review in the final two minutes of the game, anything, everything that there's clear and obvious evidence to support the ruling on the field was wrong.
4: Games could get really long and we could get bogged down in the final two minutes, but I kind of like it because the final two minutes of the half and the game are so important to the outcome of games, especially the final two minutes of the game. My, My Again, my concern is how many times do they get things wrong because there you would have had it obviously twice. You had things that were overturned. Then I guess the game would have ended so you wouldn't have had the, the second one. But I don't know. I, you know, they make a number of mistakes. Obviously, there's human error in this game. And if there's multiple times you're stopping the game, then we're going to have 10-second runoffs. So we got to reset the clock. I just think it could get bogged down a little bit. But I like the idea because you you want it to be right. And those two plays obviously had a huge bearing on the outcome. The Colts would have won that game if if not for the illegal contact call because they had the ball on the fumble. And then let's say you they rule that's right. We're not going to overturn that one. Okay, you go to the next one. Would they have gotten in? Well, we don't know. We'll never know whether they would have gotten in or not. But people watching in a bar, people watching at home on TV, the old rule of 99 out of 100 people would have said, that was not a good call. And you saw it right away, it was not a good call. And I know officials are very reluctant to call uncatchable. We don't see it a whole lot. I think we saw it in one game on Sunday. Not very much is that called because receivers are able to make such great catches they do go up and make those but that was obvious Mike he was not going to catch that ball there was no chance to catch that ball it was five yards out of bounds when it landed maybe more so I kind of like this idea that Ursay has thrown out there
3: can we show that again I have two points to make and let's stop it right after the first play roll the first play because one of the things that wasn't ever really addressed and I think it's highly relevant to legal contact on the play in question was the ball out before the contact I never saw a split screen I'd want to see a real-time split screen of this moment was the ball already out was the fumble already happening when that contact occurred my gut tells me it was now That's my one point. Let's roll this one now. Let's roll the after. Go back and let's watch this one more time. Because he holds it long enough that probably Amari Cooper was hit at the goal line before the ball was out. But I'd just like to know that. Because if the ball was out before the contact, there's no foul. Here's the second one. Roll this now. Go ahead. Go ahead. Play the... This is first and goal on the eight. This is the pass interference. It was uncatchable. Here's the problem with deciding whether or not a pass was catchable. And... you're watching. I want to know the mechanics. I need to find this out. I can't believe I've never asked myself this question in all these years. Who's watching for whether the ball's uncatchable when they're watching for whether or not there's interference? That's two things at once, as Mr. Pfizer oh, right. would say. How in the world do you know that the ball's uncatchable when you're trying to exercise your judgment as to whether or not pass interference happened? Is one of the officials watching to see whether the ball's catchable while the other one's looking for interference? That's an important point because I think it's incredibly difficult for one person, for every person out there, to be trying to look, look low. Is there interference? Look high. Is it catchable? Look low is interference. Look high. Is it catchable? So that, that's a practical reality that, that cries out for some assistance from the booth or from 345 Park Avenue. And that leads to my point that brings all of this together. Because the NFL has to come up with a solution at some point. The NFL will come up with a solution at some point. They're either going to do it proactively or they're going to do it reactively after the big scandal that causes lawsuits, Congress, regulations, maybe prosecutions. When that scandal happens, how that scandal happens, who's involved in that scandal, we don't know. But it's coming, inevitably, if they don't do anything to improve the officiating function. My suggestion for years has been, Shireen, to just start over, to rebuild the entire officiating function from scratch, With the technologies we have today they're still doing the stuff they did 100 years ago and it all evolves from that point throw that all out get rid of the 10 yard sticks maybe take most of the officials off the field just have a small force out there to keep you know the players separated and break up fights but the technology is so advanced there's so much they can do and isn't it easier If the people who know the rules inside and out are watching from above, we hear all the time about how it's better for the offensive and defensive coordinator to be up in the booth. You can see everything. Not only can you see everything on the field, you have access to all the TV cameras, all the angles. You can officiate the game that way. You don't have to be down there among the gladiators trying to stay alive. That's the kind of thing that happens if you just say, we're going to roll the current function up in a ball and throw it away and start over. Your thoughts on that?
4: Well, you've talked a bunch about the sky judge. I am all for that. And that would be a perfect example. As you said, the official is having a hard time. He's watching the players. He's not watching the official right there is not watching where that ball ends up. So a sky judge could have quickly called down and said, hey, yes, pass interference, but it was uncatchable. So overturn that. Pick up the flag call it uncatchable, let's move on. And that could have been done very, very quickly with a sky judge. So I don't know if you need to scrap the whole thing and start over or full-time officials or whatever. I think a sky judge would solve a number of their problems just having him up in the booth. As you said, it's so much easier to see things, and you have replays and all that instantaneously. Everything is right there. It's a much better view of the field and what goes on. So... I am all for the sky, Judge, and I think that's where they need to start, and they need to do it rather quickly.
3: I think there's three things that are standing in the way of progress when it comes to dramatically improving the officiating function. I always thought it was just one. And then a few years ago, I realized what the other one is. But there's a third one that someone explained to me recently, and I'm going to go in order of one. The first one I knew of, the latest one that I figured out, And then the one that popped up a few years ago. First, they're cheap. That's a given. They don't want to spend the money. They just don't. They don't. And if you want to prove me wrong, prove me wrong. They're cheap. Second, second is they don't want to be bothered. Takes too much work. Takes too much effort. That's the one I've learned recently. High-level executive from one of the teams said they just don't want to deal with it. They don't want to roll up their sleeves and figure out what it would look like. What would full-time officials look like? What would fully embracing Sky Judge look like? They don't want to have the meetings. They don't want to put in the time. They don't want to stay up late and think about it. They just want to keep doing what they're doing. Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream is all they want to do. Row the boat, make the money. Row the boat, make the money. Why do we want to row it any harder? We just row it. Just coast. It's easy. The NFL should be aspiring to something higher than that, and Before you get all pissy three forty five Park Avenue, this is your fault from the early seventies, NFL Films, John Facenda, slow motion shots, game was on a pedestal. This eight-year-old kid that stumbled over the game fifty years ago was just trying to hold you to the standard that you created to lure me in. It's your own fault. You use this to lure me in. You created this idea that you're bigger than life and you get it right and it's America and Apple Pie and all that good stuff. Well, that kid's grown up now and he expects you to live up to it. So roll up your sleeves. Put in the work and figure it out. Laziness is not an option. Then finally, and this is the one I can relate to because this is the reason why I never had to cut the grass growing up. Because they maybe cut the grass once and I had horrible allergies. That was my thats my official <laughs> excuse. The unofficial excuse is I didn't want to do it. Back to point two. I screwed it up so badly they never asked me to do it again. They screwed up the pass interference replay review experiment in 2019 so badly They, that's what they hide behind now. We hold, we can't, uh, unintended consequences, unintended consequences, unintended consequences. Look at what happened in 2019. That's justification for the laziness and the cheapness. So they're lazy and they're cheap and they wrap it up in this idea of unintended consequences. They just don't do anything. And that's fine. That's fine. But I really don't want to spend three, five, eight months of my life covering The civil cases, the prosecutions, what Congress is doing, because that's going to happen at some point. And I hope I'm retired or dead before it does, because I really even though it's right in my wheelhouse, I don't want to mess on top of covering the NFL with a Tim Donahue style scandal that is going to come for the NFL. If they don't get their shit together soon, excuse me. But that's what I believe.
4: Well, Mike, there's this whole accountability thing, too, that we haven't talked about because Ursay, by rule, is not supposed to be saying any of this. And I'm sure he will be getting a phone call if he hasn't already very shortly from the NFL and probably a fine for saying what he said. So to me, if you make a mistake, it's far better for the NFL to come out and say, hey, we messed up, two bad calls at the end of that game, Whatever, whatever. Instead, we just go on and we all know they made a mistake, but they're not willing to admit that they made that mistake. So we, <clears throat> we never hear of these mistakes that they make or rarely hear of these mistakes that they make. And if we do, usually whoever comes out and says it receives that fine letter and is going to get the fine, which UrSA is going to get, I would think, from speaking out about these two missed calls. But everybody sees that at least the last one was a missed call. You can argue the first one all you want, but the second one, it it was egregious.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bpcom investing in America. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com/metaverse Impact.
3: You know, why are you pulled me into this neighborhood, isn't that un-American to find Jim Irsay for speaking out and trying to make things better? See, th- they don't want that because it makes them yeah. look bad. It makes people uncomfortable. They don't like to be made to look uncomfortable. And this gets back to the question I get asked from time to time. Why do you hate the NFL? I don't hate the NFL. I just want the people who run it to do their jobs. I hold them to a higher standard. It's back to John Facenda and NFL films. It's your fault, NFL and NFL films. You never should have bought NFL films and lured a generation of kids into thinking that you're better than you are. You're not. And Jim Mercy is trying to make you better than you are. And you're going to find him for it? I, I hope they find him for it so I can blast them for finding him for it. Why shouldn't one of the owners be allowed to speak out publicly? Why does it all have to be behind closed doors? Because the problem is, and, and I'm a firm believer, Shereen, In teamwork. And, you know, if we have an issue at PFT with the writers, I take it up with the person privately. It rarely happens, thank God. But everybody works hard and does a good job. But you don't call people out publicly when you're trying to operate effectively. Derek Carr last week, you don't call all your receivers out on the field when you know the cameras are watching everything you do. But there is a point where. If you try all the other stuff and it doesn't work, yeah, maybe you say something. Maybe you go, and, and why shouldn't you be allowed to say something? If the NFL officiating is problematic, if we have an obvious incident at the end of a game that everybody's upset about, Colts fans and those who had the Colts money line, yeah, why, why can't he say something about it? And, and then there's the question of okay, you know, the, the prudent thing to do. Is to handle it privately, but we hear about free speech all the time: free speech, free speech, free speech. Why, why why can't he say it if he wants to say it? Why can't he say it? So I hope they find him because that'll create another issue. And see, sometimes I think they shy away from from picking that fight because they don't want it to continue. It's all driven by PR. How are people going to react to this? Yeah. Well, we need to find him for running his mouth. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. How are they going to react? How are they going to react if we find them? Maybe we shouldn't find them. Maybe 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 we should give them a pass on. Maybe we just send out a memo reminding everyone. So they did with the fights last week. They should have ejected players. They should have fined players in the pregame fights that happened last week. There were two of them, 49ers, Browns, and Cowboys Chargers. They sent out a memo reminding everyone where, where, where this stuff is frowned upon instead of punishing the people for the rules that were already on the books. I think because the officials screwed up and let the teams get too close together. So they had a PR reason to not go down that path because the blowback would have been, why the hell did you let these teams get so close together? You know what the rules are about keeping them separated. So my point is this, if they find Jim or they have to ask themselves, what kind of reaction is there going to be? Not did he violate the rules and do we apply the rules as written, regardless of whether they're good or bad? Are we not going to find him because we don't want this to continue? We don't want jerks like Florio to keep talking about the situation. Uh, we just want it to go away. We just want it. We want to go back to row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. So I, it'll be very interesting to see if he gets fined and if we find out about the fine.
4: Well, and the other thing that's going to be interesting, Mike, is in the offseason, do the Colts write up a proposal to the competition committee and submit it? to exactly what Ursay said, make everything reviewable in the final two minutes. And I would be curious how – I don't think, just off the top of my head, I don't think that they would get the 24 votes necessary to overturn this. But who knows? It's never been brought up. So I would love to see them write up a proposal, and I expect, based on what he tweeted last night, that they will present a proposal to the competition committee – For exactly this, let's make it all reviewable. And uh, the obvious answer to this or reason not to do it is it's going to bog down games because we missed too many calls in the final two minutes that this could just go on and on and on and prolong these games. But to me, Mike, the final answer is you want to get things right, especially with the game on the line in the final two minutes. If that play had happened in the first quarter We would be talking about it, but we wouldn't be talking about it like we're talking about today. It wouldn't be leading this show today. But because it happened right at the end of the game and helped decide that game, that's why we're talking about it. So he does have a point about the final two minutes.
3: Well, and it reminds me of the Foster Moreau drop on Thursday night. Part of the aftermath was... Many reasons contribute to losing a game. Things that happen in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. But it always gets magnified at the end of the game. When it gets down to the very simple up or down, yes or no, did you catch it or did you not catch it? Did you throw the flag? Did you not throw the flag? Did you make the right throw? Did you not make the right throw? Did you hold on to the ball? Did you not hold on to the ball when you were running for the end zone? It is magnified at the end of the game. And that's where common sense needs to take over and where the NFL, I think, has an obligation that I don't think it fails to realize. I think it realizes it. I just think the strategic decision has been made to not spend the money, not take the time, and hide behind the idea of unintended consequences. I mean, these people are paid a lot of money to sit around and creatively brainstorm what the potential consequences might be. What what would be the consequences of changing this rule. Let's see. I mean, it's not all that hard to figure out what the potential consequences are if you have people who know football and who are smart and are justifying their exorbitant salaries and are sitting around a conference room and they come up with all the ideas. And then you balance. Are the, are the unintended consequences that we are smart enough to identify and foresee, are they worth it? That's the balance that you have to engage in as you decide whether or not to make these rule changes. I just, I believe what, because I hadn't thought of this. Somebody from a team said they just don't want to spend the time. They just don't want to do it. It's fine the way it is. It's fine the way it is. Why are we complaining? We're making billions. It's fine the way it is. Why do we we need to do anything? Why do we need to do anything? See, it's, it's the point I made the other day about what the Falcons did with B. John Robinson. They had an incentive to keep their mouths shut. Whatever the consequence is, it has to create a greater incentive to not do that. So right now, what's the incentive for the NFL to change anything? There's no incentive right now to listen to Jim Irsay. What do we care? You know, people say the games are rigged. You think the league office gives one crap about who wins the Super Bowl? They just want to make sure the Super Bowl happens. The money flows through regardless of who makes it and regardless of who wins it. They just need to keep the boat afloat. That's it. So why do we want to start rocking the boat? Why do we want to do that? But but see, the problem is they need to be ready for the hurricane that's going to blow the boat over. The Tim Donahue scandal. Not that it's going to be an official. We don't know what it's going to be. But how can you not, if you're the NFL, not be thinking, if we don't button up these issues, they're going to provide the starting point for this thing that maybe does tear the house down that maybe does require everyone working at the league office to be fired or nudged out of their jobs, at least all the key personnel, that results in disruption to the business, external oversight, the creation of an agency that would, that would micromanage everything the NFL does. That's the last thing they want, Shereen. So I just feel like they've decided, we'll let that be someone else's problem. That'll be the next commissioner's problem. That'll be the next... VP of football operations problem that'll be the next owner of the team's problem we're just going to keep cramming money into our pockets and and we'll just we'll accept the risk and when something like that happens we're going to say we had no idea this could happen
4: well it it takes something big in a big game Mike to change officiating you think back to they had the replacement officials you had the Fell Mary in a primetime game, and all of a sudden, hey, we have an agreement. The officials are coming back. Then you had the pass interference that wasn't called in the NFC Championship game between the Rams and the Saints. Well, let's put in, we can review pass interference for a year. Well, that didn't work out. But it takes something in a game that everyone is watching. This was the Browns and the Colts. No offense to the Browns and the Colts, but it was crammed in there in that 1 o'clock time slot. Nobody was watching the Browns and the Colts for the most part, aside from Browns and Colts fans. And we're talking about this today, and I would almost guarantee some people watching had not seen these two plays yet. They've seen them now. They had not seen them yet until today. So it takes... Something like this in a big primetime game or a game that decides who goes to the playoffs or a playoff game, some big officiating error, that's what it takes, Mike. It has to be a game that everyone's watching and everyone's talking about it the next day.
3: That's a great point. Primetime game, standalone game, high stakes. The higher the stakes, the more likely it creates a stir. But yeah, first it's got to be noticed. And in that cluster of 1 o'clock Eastern games on a Sunday, something like this doesn't get as noticed as it would if it happened Sunday night, Monday night, Thursday night. And the other thing the NFL benefits from, we talk about this every year, whatever the controversy is, the shelf life is short because here comes the next bright, shiny object. Game on Thursday night. And maybe something will happen there that we're talking about on Friday. We don't know what it is yet. Last week, it was Derek Carr calling out his teammates On camera, Peter King and I spent a half hour talking about that. There's going to be something from Bucks bills on Thursday night that we talk about Friday and forget about. It's like a hard reset. Every time a game comes around, it's a hard reset. And the aftermath of that game becomes the dominant thing. And then you throw in the fact that the owner of one of the most popular teams in the sport has radio appearances twice per week on Tuesdays and Fridays, that's another bright, shiny object. Because as we try to process what Jim Ursay is saying about officiating, we also have to spin that plate of Jerry Jones from his latest appearance on 105.3 The Fan talking about the Cowboys' approach to the looming trade dial- deadline, just six days away. Have a listen to Jerry's psychology when it comes to whether or not the Cowboys are going to pick up the phone and initiate potential discussions aimed at trading for players that will make his team better this year. Here he is.
1: Uh, it'll have to come our way. I don't want to preclude it in any way, uh, but, uh, but it always does. Uh, but you uh, have uh, a lot of machinations that you're working with every day. I do and uh but uh, the initiation of an opportunity to make a trade at this time that would help us principally has to start over on the other end mm. Mm. and uh and and uh, so that's not uh, being showing a lack of aggressiveness it's just that's where it starts i like where we are with our personnel today and so i'm not uh, thinking in any way that we need to uh, upgrade our roster you're laying in wait, so to speak. We, I have areas on the team that uh, uh, but we could, if, if certain circumstances happen, that you might improve. So um, uh, you though know that your best chance to uh, uh, get it done is when it uh, comes by you and you grab it.
3: Look, I'm not one to second guess the business habits of someone who has amassed an incredible fortune multi-billion dollars, has a boat that is nicer than most of the homes in the world, bigger than most of the boats in the world that aren't aircraft carriers. But I don't understand the approach. And as I explained yesterday, and I'm going to defer to the article because I'm probably not going to remember how I worded it, and I liked how I worded it, but I'm not going to be able to remember it now. It's too early, and I don't know. I just My point was very basic there's a way to poke around the edges there's a way to talk to people there's a way to do your due diligence that doesn't sacrifice leverage if you just have a habit every year as the trade deadline approaches of checking in with every GM and he is the general manager he's not just the owner he's the GM you call the GM of this team just checking to see you got guy I'm just I'm just trying to figure out what all's out there you got you know, it's like going to stores. What's for what am I gonna buy? Well, I gotta know what the stores have. I'm going around to all the stores to see what you're selling before I decide whether or not I'm gonna buy anything. And I might not buy anything. I just gotta see what's available. And maybe I got some stuff available too. Even though we're a contender, maybe I got somebody I'm not, you know, that I'm willing to potentially part with for the right price. I think there's a way to do that without giving up any of your leverage because his his thought is very basic very simple never make the first move whoever makes the first move immediately assumes a position of weakness that can never be overcome in any future negotiation I don't buy that and I think it's very revealing on how he views negotiation and what he'll do when he senses any weakness in negotiating leverage and he'll take full advantage of it the same way Dak's taking full advantage of it against him but I just don't think that's the way to do it. you got a team that you think is pretty damn good. More on that in a minute. Why wouldn't you find a way to investigate what's out there in a manner that doesn't impede your ability to do a win-win trade? I don't understand it, Shereen. Do you?
4: You know what? He picked up the phone when Trey Lance became available and immediately made that phone call. He's talked all about it. Oh, we wanted Trey Lance. We made that phone call. And then John Lynch came out and said nobody was offering what the Cowboys offer. My goodness, we we got a steal on this. We didn't want to send him to the Cowboys, but they offered way more than anybody else was offering. So maybe he's thinking about that, Mike. Maybe he's thinking, boy, I screwed up in the Trey Lance trade. I could have gotten him for a six-round draft pick or whatever, and they gave up a fourth for him. So maybe that plays into this. I don't know, Mike, but... The Eagles certainly are not sitting by waiting for teams to call them. They've already made one trade. They've already made one big-time free agent signing. So they're going to improve their roster. They may make other trades, and the Cowboys can't just stand pat and say, oh, yeah, we're we're as good as the Eagles. They're not going to know if they're as good as the Eagles. They don't play until the Sunday after the trade deadline. So you better go address your weaknesses or what you consider your weaknesses, places that you've had injuries right now if you're going to do it because there's not guys out on that free agent market who are going to help you.
3: You nailed it. You nailed it. Bravo. Because really, he's already regarded as an easy mark. So he can't put himself in a position to be taken advantage of again. He has to. For this cycle, he has to. Dial it back. He has to lay in wait because they're already thinking, man, once Jerry calls, put put your thumbs on the scale, put your elbows on the scale, ask for anything. He'll give you whatever it takes to get that guy that he wants. He's almost like preventing himself from from starting down that path. What happened with Trey Lance has caused him to try to reconfigure his entire approach to trades so his idea is, I'm not calling anybody. I'm not making that mistake again, at least not now. I'm not going to do something where someone else can, can thump their chest about how they got a great deal on me. And it was a mistake by John Lynch to say what he said. That's because the, the worst thing you can do if you get the far better end of a trade is to let people know about it. Because that makes teams reluctant to do business with you because they don't want to be the next one that you make look bad. you know when, When Andy Reid used to send backup quarterbacks for far more than they were worth based upon what other teams did with those backup quarterbacks, Reid never bragged about it. He just kept on doing it. And that's what the 49ers should have done. But you nailed it. You nailed it. Jerry doesn't want to step into it twice reminds me of a saying from a a great texan fool me once shame on shame on you fool me can't get fooled again that's jerry's approach to the trade deadline you got it you nailed it i wish i would have thought of it yesterday i am i'm disappointed with myself that i forgot all about how they got screwed on the trade lands trade because they were too anxious that's exactly what was happening bravo you can take the rest of the show off if you want i don't want you to i don't want you to i need your (laughs) brain for the rest of the show but well done
4: well, and, and it's that's not the only trade, Mike. If you look back to trades that they've made at the trade deadline that didn't work out, you know, the Roy Williams trade, you know, you point to that. There's been a ton of them. But, you know, I think he did. they did pretty well in the Omari Cooper trade. They should still have him on the roster, and I would look at that trade as a really good trade they made at the trade deadline. But you think about all the trades that this team's made oh. at the trade deadline over the years, and they haven't been good.
3: The, the trade that brought them Amari Cooper, not the trade that sent Amari Correct. Cooper away because they thought 20 million was too much to pay at a time when the market was going to 30 million in that same month. And they were going to cut Amari Cooper. They got a sixth round pick and they were happy to get a sixth round fifth. pick because they were going to let him go fifth round, fifth even. Round. Yeah. Well, still they were going to let him go. Still. Thank you. They were going to let him go. They were just going to let him walk if they didn't get that fifth round pick from the Browns. So, um, uh, and I, I wasn't a firm believer in – see, I, that, that's what was so weird about it. You give up a first-round pick to get him as he's approaching his second contract. You know, oh, I remember when Stephen Jones said very flippantly, when we were on the clock for our first-round pick, we just watched a Mari Cooper film. But the problem is you don't get the benefit of the cheap years of the slotted rookie first-round contract. You're in the option year you got to pay him. And then once you pay him, why don't you keep him? They only had him for what? What did they have him, three years total? Was that it? Yeah. Three years for that right. first-round yeah. pick? The whole, I- the whole idea is you use the first-round pick on somebody that you get five years out of, and at some point along the way, maybe you sign him to a second deal, and you have him even longer. So that was a mistake. The first trade I can, I can justify, trading him away, getting what they got, for a guy who's been very good for the Browns, better than most people expected he would be, for only $20 million salary, that part was a mistake. So, so we now know, and Shireen has helped me figure out why Jerry is a little bit hesitant to jump back into the trading pool, but he has to hope someone is going to call because he seems to think they're in position now to make a move in the NFC. Here he is. From yesterday, 105 3, the fan in Dallas, on whether or not his Cowboys are in the upper echelon of the NFC along with teams like the 49ers and the Eagles.
1: Well, we belong in the upper echelons. I'm not going to say that we belong on the field with uh, San Fran and we haven't played Philly, but, we've got, uh, but I'm anticipating Philadelphia being what they look like. And uh, so uh, I don't want to go that far, but we're in the upper echelon. I would have um, uh, liked. Uh, to have played better against the 49ers. And, of course, watched with interest this entire weekend's games, but certainly that one last night. And uh, you see uh, that it's, uh, a, a team step up there and play like Minnesota did, their quarterback did. Uh, b- uh, b- there can be had the 49ers I'm talking about.
3: Wow. Could you? Could, would you have imagined two weeks ago, After the 49ers completely dismantled, embarrassed, and humiliated the Cowboys, that the owner of the team would be saying the words, the 49ers can be had.
4: No. Uh, 42-10, no. They were not in any way, shape, or form in that game at all, ever.
3: And remember what Debo Samuel said after there was some chirping, because... Micah Parsons reacted to the George Kittle shirt. And Debo Samuel said, next time it might be worse. It's, look, yes, the 49ers destroyed them that night. And in the immediate aftermath, we all assumed if they got together again, the same thing will happen. Monday night's game proved that there are certain circumstances where the planets line up just right. And the better team doesn't win. That's one of the things I love about it. Just as we start to think everyone is settling into their lane, you get disruption like that. You get other upsets. Well, the Browns beating the 49ers fell into that category as well. We've had two straight weeks where the 49ers are the better team. The 49ers clearly should have won the Browns game. Jake Moody, rookie kicker, third rounder, 41-yard field goal. you got to make that kick. Make that kick, they win the game. The other night, it was the quarterback that let him down a couple of times. With the game on the line, two interceptions when the 49ers could have pulled it out. But they can be had. Now, will they be had when January rolls around is a different issue altogether. And that takes us to the current DraftKings Sportsbook odds to win the NFC. They have been reconfigured a bit in the aftermath of the Week 7 games. 49ers were plus 165 to win the the Conference championship, the George Hallis trophy that goes along with it. They are now courtesy of DraftKings Sportsbooks at plus 200. So they've dropped a little bit. The Eagles have climbed from plus 310, about 3 to 1, to plus 240. And there are the Cowboys, 5 to 1, Lions, plus 5,500, 5.5 5. to 1. And look at the drop. The, yeah. the betters. And the odds makers, because these bets are influenced by where the action is, who's making the bets. The bulk of the wager, Shireen, clearly on 49ers, Eagles, Cowboys, Lions. Your next team after plus 550 at the Lions is the Seahawks at 20 to 1. And the next one after that is the Rams at 40 to 1. Are you kidding me? So the collective wisdom. Of the gambling community has decided the NFC champion is coming from the 49ers, Eagles, Cowboys, Lions. And it's kind of hard to dispute that right now.
4: Yeah, I totally agree. It's one of those four teams, more than likely, and that should be your final four. As you said, it's a week to week league. We don't know what's going to happen between now and the postseason. And you get in the postseason, and we always see upsets. So the chances of those four teams being the final four teams probably are not very good, but I like the chances of one of those teams winning the NFC this year. There's, I don't think there's anybody beyond those four, Mike, that I would bet on right now.
3: Can we put that graphic back up? I'm looking for a bargain, not that I'm inclined to. we can't I don't think we can it doesn't matter to me I don't need to know the NBC rules on what we can and can't bet on because I don't bet on anything so it's not relevant to me but but I'm looking for anyone beyond those four teams that I would feel good about and hey you know the Vikings may change people's opinions because they have a softening of the schedule all the way through week 14 every game they have is winnable now, the Falcons are at the same level as the Vikings, plus 4,500. And the Falcons host the Vikings in a few weeks. That's the toughest game for the Vikings between now and week 14, week 15, excuse me, week 15 when they travel to Cincinnati and then they play the Lions twice in the final three weeks. But the Vikings could could maybe get towards Seahawks territory of 20-1. to 1, But even then, I don't think anyone, unless the Lions fall apart and the Vikings go on like a six-game winning streak, The Vikings aren't going to invade that top four. I think that's a fair representation of where the NFL has been, where it currently is, and where it likely will be when we get to the last four teams in the NFC. I would expect it's going to be, barring, you know, like a fluke outcome in the wild card round, the divisional round is going to be 49ers, Eagles, Cowboys, Lions, and we'll see who's playing whom and where, which will be important especially for the Lions, frankly. They need to try to pull the number one seed out of this so they don't have to go on the road with Jared Goff playing outdoors. But I think it's going to be those four teams.
4: I think the odds are against it being those four teams in the final four, but I do think one of those teams will advance to the Super Bowl. I don't think there's anybody outside so, of that final four. It's, I think there will be an upset Well, and the point, ch- yes, in the postseason.
3: Well, think, of, think about the wild card. Round One of those four teams that we saw is going to be the number one seed. right? It would yeah. be a major shock if one of them is not the number one seed. So they'll right. be in the final four of the NFC. The other three, two of them will have home games most likely. Again, unless the Lions fall apart. The Lions will have a home game. The winner of the NFC East will have a home game if they're not the one seed. The other team is going to have to go on the road. That's the team. Whoever doesn't win the right. NFC East is, East is going to be the, the team... That is vulnerable because they're going to have to go on the road, but where are they going to go? They're going to be going to play the NFC South champion. So Eagles at Falcons, Cowboys at Falcons or Eagles at bucks, Cowboys at bucks. I, yeah, yeah, you know, unless I could see like, I could see the lions get upset at home, potentially like Seahawks lions. We already saw that movie in week two but uh i i I agree with you we can't just assume that the chalk is going to prevail in the wild card round all it takes is one game and it disrupts that final four but those are going to be the four teams in position to get to the divisional round and we'll see how it goes don't forget on DraftKings sportsbook this season new customers can bet five dollars and pocket two hundred dollars in bonus bets instantly plus all customers can get a no sweat same game parlay every day Download the app and use the promo code PFT Live when you sign up. DraftKings Sportsbook, the crown is yours. We got to take a break, but I just saw MDS text wow to the PFT text chain. So there may be something big that's happened. I'm intrigued. I'm going to look and see. We'll have something for you next year on PFT Live.
0: See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
2: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment.